listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. Welcome to a new episode recording this on a Wednesday. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your fix. Uh, Anthony Irwin coming out with his own show now. Obviously, it has to be in his name because we know Anthony's an egomaniac. But the rest of us also doing a show uh, pretty much all four nights a week th- to get you covered throughout the Lakers offseason. Joining me as usual, Sabrina Merchant. Sabrina, what's going on? Not much. Uh, you know, USA finally got a win, so I'm enjoying watching basketball again. Um, you're you're but excited yeah. <laughs> about that after the after the disappointments against Nigeria? It's crazy that I am this hyped about an exhibition win against Argentina but this is the state of USA international basketball on the men's side. So here we are. Can I ask, I gotta ask you this. Do you act like, you know, I was watching some of the ESPN shows and we're, you know, we're, you know, watching the daily, like, Oh, is there a reason to be worried? And it's a different game. And yeah, the officiating's different and, and it's game is played differently. And the rules are, are, you know, a little bit different than they would be for traditional NBA basketball, but like the hype over like, Oh, you know, this could be, you know, the, maybe they're going to lose the gold medal. It's like, no, they're not going to lose in the, the gold. Do you like, do you think there's any shot that they're not going to win gold in Tokyo? Oh, I totally think so. I mean, they finished really? seventh at the world cup two years ago. And admittedly the team is better now, right? You've got Durant, you've got Lillard who are better than anybody else who played in 2019, but like the, the other teams just know how to play together. You know, like the, mm. the U S clearly looks like a team that has been together for four days and other teams just know how to exploit that now. And it's not like the talent gap is as big as it used to be, you know, um, the USA like doesn't develop bigs like the rest of the, the nations do like, think about the best American centers in the league. Like, and who would there be? It's like Brooke Lopez. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, like, who else are we talking about? Like, I was uh, Anthony of, Davis, if we want to say he's playing the five, but yeah, I guess that he's not available. Right. So yeah, if Anthony yeah. Davis is not playing, then what are we really working with? Um, and just, there's like just a lot of good talent all around the, 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 the world. And they're not afraid of the U S or intimidated by the U S in the same, same way that they once were just because so many of them play in the NBA too. Like, I mean, we've talked about the Nigeria game before, like eight of those guys have played in the NBA. So mm-hmm. yeah, maybe they're not all stars, but there's definitely one hurdle that you've already cleared when you play against these guys 82 games out of the year, right? Like it's not that big of a deal when you step out against them. You're just like, okay, yeah, it's another night against Damian Lillard. Like I get it, you know, and even the Sacramento Kings like beat a bad team on any given night. Right. So uh, <laughs> they're just NBA players. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I don't think a gold is given by any means. Oh, I'm going to disagree. I, I think there's a 90% chance that they're going to win the gold medal. I think when you have guys like Kevin Durant on your team and, and Damian Lillard, who can score 50 any given night, not one of those guys can guard them. I think they'll figure it out and they got pop running things. They'll, they'll look back at the tape and figure out what they're doing wrong and, and iron out the little kinks that they have to before things start to count. But I also want to add this Canada had like six or eight NBA players and they'd lost. How do you lose yeah, that, to the I don't Republic? Know. <laughs> like, it, it's embarrassing. They haven't been in the, in the Olympics since 2000. I think we have like the second most NBA players, by nation and mm-hmm. it's like how the, hell, how the hell are we not getting into the the olympics last time it was steve nash that was in 2000 he was like the leader they ended up doing really well in the group stage coming in seventh in sydney and everybody's like all right this is the beginning of the quote-unquote golden age of canadian basketball now it's been 21 years and we haven't been back so you know what i this whole but to me i mean the notion of of the fact that that these guys are in somewhat like at the very least they'll be in the, in the, in the medals, like, you know, a gold, silver or bronze. I mean, I just don't, no, see I mean, they're, they're definitely the favorites. Like there's no getting around that. They're the favorites because they have the most talent and they have the best player. 
I think Kevin Durant is the best player who is competing at these Olympics with uh, all due respect to international Luka Doncic, who has never lost a game when competing for Slovenia, something to keep in mind, but mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the U S has the best player. They have the best talent, but I, I do also think that there's something to be said when other teams can actually run sets and like play defensive schemes, whereas the U S just switches everything because that's the only way they can like actually all be on the same page. And even then they're still making mistakes. Um, and for all of their, you know, prodigious offensive talent, like they still have to learn how to play with one another. And that's just a learning curve that other teams don't exactly have to deal with. Right. Like you look at these European teams and they've been playing together every summer since they were like 16 years old. So it's, it's just a little different. You know, I, by all means, I, I still think that the USA is the favorite. It's more likely than not that they do end up with the gold medal, but I don't think that it's like a foregone conclusion. Like it would have been in 2016 or Olympics before that. Okay. Let's put this into, let's put this into betting terms. Would you bet $100 in order to get a return of $20 on the U S winning the gold medal? It just doesn't seem like enough skin to want to play wow wow sabrina okay okay we should have a side bet on this somehow we'll come up with something but i i think that i think usa is absolutely gonna win the gold uh when is it the only one time they didn't win gold was it was argentina won it that one year was that the world championship yeah in 2004 in athens Athens, they've lost the world championship several more times yeah because it's usually a a b-level squad that they're sending right it's just not as important to the u.s as it is to other programs yeah okay so we'll see i would take that i would bet 100 bucks if to get 20 bucks in the u.s winning i think that's a a fantastic bet so i might find a bookie and do that (laughs) do that somewhere (laughs) online but uh okay let's jump into lakers talk because that's what people want to listen to on this podcast but that was a good rant but Team USA basketball. I actually still have a lot more I could talk about, but we'll, we'll see. I have that. more about Canada too, actually, if you ever want to talk go about ahead. this. Uh, go ahead. No, no, no. We're, we're, there's no time like the present. What, what are you going to ask? No, I'm just, I remember watching their qualifying game against Venezuela back in 2015 and thinking like, this is the last time that Canada is going to experience any heartbreak on the international level. Cause they're just going to be running. Like they're going to be wrecking mm-hmm. teams after this. And like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, was I wrong? <laughs> I know it's, you know what? I don't, I don't know why it's. Dylan it's Brooks been... has to play internationally. That's what I've learned. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and they need, well, I mean, Jamal Murray, if he would have played and again, but they don't get the Shay. commitment. They don't get, yeah. yeah, they don't, they don't get the commitment. Uh, and again, I mean, don't, there was no excuse for not winning that, that, that play in tournament. They were, they had the most talent hands down out of and it was at home and it was at home yeah in in victoria which probably had like a four thousand seat arena so there was nobody really there but um (laughs) i you know i it's it's tough to say because there's a lot of things that go wrong with the program it's not really well funded obviously as everybody jokes about but the stereotype is true that canada dominates you know even money wise and in in terms of what the amateur level what they put into hockey compared to most other sports, but I also, it's not as glamorous. Like if you can get, like you mentioned, Shea, uh, Shea Gilders, Alexander, you know, Dylan Brooks, um, you know, getting guys like hopefully Jamal Murray when he's healthy, then you got Wiggins and everybody kind of, then I think it's a different story, but it hasn't been looked upon as something of, as a sense of pride for playing for Canada. That's why I think you're, they, they've been kind of stumbling and struggling. So hopefully, hopefully things get better now moving forward after the second heartbreak in what, five years now, six years. Right. And it's not like the U S where, you know, LeBron and Steph and Kyrie Irving and AD say no, and you're still left with this intensely talented core, you know, when those Canadians drop off and like all of a sudden Michael Mulder becomes very important. And like mm-hmm. for all of the Warriors fans who happen to be listening, big Michael Mulder fan, but like, that's not what you need to win international games. No, no. Yeah. That is uh, it gets, like, if you look at home and it was funny because there's some, there's some people on Twitter that I follow that are big hockey people. 
and they were they were talking about like oh you have this many NBA guys I'm like dude Michael Mulder is like a like a, you know he's a nice like a nice bench player but it's, he's not going to set the world on fire you know what I mean and people just don't that's what I'm saying even the knowledge of the game in Canada like unless you're a hardcore basketball fan they don't really know what makes like they just look at it and think oh there's, these guys are NBA players they should be good and even if the, that meant that somebody was playing you know like uh uh was like the played two seasons as a 12th man on the on the New Orleans Pelicans they assume that that means that, oh, he must be, you know, upon the best of the best. It's like, no, there's a lot of international players that are that are pretty damn good at that level, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. There's just a lot of really good international players. And that's why I love the Olympics and the World Cup, because it's just fun to see everybody on a stage that clearly means a lot to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I remember watching Luca at the Eurobasket back in 2017 and thinking, like, okay, I get it. Like, this is why everyone's talking about this kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's yeah. been fantastic. I'm looking forward to why I always like watching Olympic basketball too. I think obviously if they're playing under NBA rules, I think the U S would win by 50 every game, but I mean, you know, there, there is a, there is a bit of a difference with it. So I, you know, I think it'll be interesting. We saw Spain give them the run, uh, run for their money. That was LeBron Kobe teams. Uh, was that back in 2010, I believe not 2010, 2012, I believe it was. So in 2008, uh, yeah. In 2008. Yeah. So, I mean, you'll see, you know, you might see that, but again, I, I think they'll win. Uh, jumping back into the, into the Lakers. Now, now that we're officially done with our international <laughs> run, we're officially done with it. Uh, NBA reporter, Mark Stein of the, of the New York times, who is one of the best in the business. He's awesome. He's been on the podcast. I know with, with Harrison, uh, on silver screen and roll before, uh, he did have a report in his latest newsletter, not a report, but just kind of what he's hearing. Uh, and I'm going to quote, go quote for quote here. Word is that the Lakers on top of their well chronicled need for more shooting covet one more difference make difference making playmaker who could allow James and Davis to spend more time at power forward and center. Now he adds to that expect to eventually hear of them searching for potential pathways. However, uh, obstacle strewn, they would be to reacquiring restricted free agent to be Lonzo ball for that reason. Okay, before we jump into the financials of it, because that's obviously going to be the, the big thing here, even if, let's just say, hypothetically, the Lakers could work it out, how much of an upgrade do you think Lonzo would be over a guy like Dennis Schroeder? I got to say, if Mark Stein is trying to get people to subscribe to his new Substack, dropping a Lakers Lonzo <laughs> ball rumor in week one is a plus way of going about it, yes. Mark. So kudos. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the Dennis Schroeder experience, we've, we've talked about this, you know, various times throughout the season at his best. I think he's a wonderful fit with LeBron and Anthony Davis. You know, he gets into the paint. He's pesky defensively pushes the tempo and transition. Um, I think the way the reason Lonzo would potentially better than Schroeder is if we buy that this shooting improvement that he exhibited in new Orleans, like under their just renowned shooting coach, Fred Vinson, who even fixed Brandon Ingram's jump shot. Like if we're to believe that Lonzo was really a 40% three-point shooter, then that's why he becomes an upgrade over Mm -hmm. Dennis Schroeder because the paint was just so crowded with for the Lakers for much of this past season. And if you can just provide a little more breathing room for those guys in in the paint, which has to happen if you're a 40% three-point shooter, then that just opens up so many more driving lanes and post-up opportunities for those two guys. And we know that Lonzo is also excellent defensively. He's more of a help guy than a, you know, an on-ball guy like Dennis. But I think, you know, KCP is really good on-ball. So you can kind of mix and match that as necessary. Um, and then also just a guy who's wonderful in transition and Lonzo Ball, like just one of the very best uh, fast break players in the league, like his combinations with Zion Williamson, like, oof. So I guess, 
you know, if, if Lonzo experiences that shooting regression that everybody seems to experience when they rejoin the Lakers or join the Lakers, uh, our guy Ali wrote about this on Silver Screen Roll a couple months back, then, you know, that's not the player that you want. But if this, if this shooting form that he exhibited in New Orleans, if that's for real, then that's the Lonzo ball that would instantly elevate this Lakers offense. Yeah, you look at, I mean, like you mentioned, he shot, what, 37, you know, 37.8%, a little bit of an upgrade over last season, but a lot better than what he was when he was playing for the Lakers. And and you mentioned the coaching, but you also look at the, he didn't hesitate to take as many, he took 8.3 three-pointers a game. That's ridiculous for- Super volume, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was doing that. But if you look at the numbers, like you mentioned, he put up, you you know, he scored, scoring more at 14 and a half points a game. He's always been a solid rebounder and and assist guy overall in terms of, you know, what he brings as a point guard, not just kind of the the one-dimensional. I, I would love the fit. Now, again, I think he would be an upgrade over Schroeder too. And and you know what? Looking back at it, chemistry-wise, I do think him and LeBron, you know, got got to got on together pretty well. And I think they they enjoyed playing with each other. It was that was decision to be made to bring mm-hmm. in a, another superstar in Anthony Davis. Well, then in that case, Lonzo Ball became expendable. Now, when you're looking at, we're also looking at defensively. What do you think, uh, how do you think, because the Lakers, you know, when they're at full health are, are arguably, you know, if not the best, the, the second best, maybe behind the Knicks uh, and, and maybe the 76ers are definitely up there in terms of, in terms of their defensive efficiency. How do you think Lonzo would fit the defensive scheme for what they do? Do you think he'd be provide more or less than, than what Schroeder did? Well, he's got, you know, more height than Schroeder. Um, definitely a little bit more length. Uh, although Schroeder's wingspan is like deceptively long for someone of his size. Uh, I just, I think like he was a good enough defender during his first two years with the Lakers. And there's no reason to believe that he hasn't improved since then. Like new Orleans is not a super positive defensive ecosystem over there. So I, I hesitate to take away too much from what happened in his two years with the Pelicans. But yeah, I mean, I, I always liked Lonzo's tools defensively. He's got great instincts off the ball. And like when you're playing with LeBron and AD, like you don't have to be a, world beating defensive player, right? You just have to be good and be able to fit into a system. And Lonzo can definitely do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think that he has the size to potentially shift onto wings if necessary. Like he's six foot six. Like that's a guy who you can put on a six, eight wing and not feel terribly about it. Like you would with say Contavious Caldwell Pope. So that definitely gives the Lakers some optionality on that end of the floor. But yeah, like Lonzo, his defensive IQ has always been awesome. Um, Definitely had some lapses in his first couple of years, but that's to be expected with any young player. I think, yeah, there would be no questions about how he would fit in defensively if he were to rejoin the Lakers. Yeah, and I just like his, I, it just seems like he's Lonzo, you know what I mean? It just seems like yeah. he belongs in LA. And as much as we would like to see him maybe come out to the West, you know, being from, you know, Cheeto Hills and and he, was, he went to UCLA, obviously, and got drafted by the Lakers number two. It's like all the things point to that, uh, you know, adding to the drama, I would say was, was Shams from the athletic basically said that the, the you know, if there was a significant uh, offer to, to Lonzo, who's an RFA, if, if they send somebody gives him a significant offer, no, you know, the Pelicans would just be like, we're not going to, we're not going to match it because that's what Shams is saying. Like I said, it's not coming from me. He's saying they're unlikely to match a significant offer sheet on Lonzo does that make you any more intrigued in the Lakers trying to pursue this or if you're looking at the financials which obviously is the massive elephant in the room when it comes to this topic is you know what the Lakers would have to get very very creative and you know as you mentioned before we went on air like they hard cap themselves pretty much but you're looking at what four years 60 million The, the reports are he's looking at 20 million a season so you might be four years 80 million how would the Lakers be able to make this work and and do you think there's a realistic chance of it happening 
I don't think there's a realistic chance of this happening. I mean, what were uh, Stein's words exactly? He said, uh, obstacle strewn, strewn right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to reacquire Alonzo Ball. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, like the Lakers basically don't have any salary cap space this year. Uh, the only way that they can afford to sign free agents is if they're, they're existing free agents and they have bird rights on them, like they do with Caruso and Schroeder and THT. Mm-hmm. Um, the only tool they'll probably have at their disposal to sign an external free agent is that taxpayer mid-level, which is only about $5.7 million, which is very much not in the range that Lonzo Ball is looking for, nor should he be looking for, right? Like there's just no reason why he would settle for a payday like that. Um, so when we're talking about you know, New Orleans matching a sizable offer, the Lakers just can't give him a sizable offer. And as much as I love the story of Lonzo coming back, like you said, you know, Southern California born, raised UCLA, drafted by the Lakers. Magic Johnson makes obviously all of these wild pronouncements about him when he's drafted. I I love the idea of Lonzo returning to the Lakers, but I just don't see it happening unless, I mean, I actually, I just don't see it happening because the only way he could potentially get to the Lakers is if, you know, New Orleans and Lonzo just can't come to an agreement on the contract and New Orleans decides to do him a favor by foregoing his restricted free agent rights, you know, similar to what the Lakers did with Julius Randle when they were signing LeBron James and then Lonzo's free to sign with anyone he wants. But then again, like he can be free to sign with anyone he wants. And once again, the Lakers only have $5.7 million to offer him. So I just, I don't see it happening this year. Maybe somewhere down the line, Lonzo could come back, but financially, I'm just not sure how it could work out. Could they get, I mean, they could get another team involved, but you just think there's too many obstacles to, to jump over, I would say, in order to make this trade. Like you just don't see it happening. And I agree with you. I think there, if, if the financial picture was a little bit clearer for the Lakers that they were able to add some assets and had some money to play with, if they, you know, looked at the roster and said, all right, we're going to get rid of uh, player X, Y, and Z to make this move. But you just think with the, with the way the money and the financial situation is set up, it's just not likely going to happen. Right. And it's not like Lonzo doesn't have a market anywhere else, right? Like we keep hearing about how teams around the league are interested in him. You know, the Bulls tried to make a move to acquire him at the trade deadline. They remain interested in him. The Clippers who are in a similar financial hellhole that the Lakers are also interested in him, but like he is just the kind of player that everyone could use, right? He's a young point guard who theoretically can shoot. He can play defense. He's not super ball dominant. Like that's the one thing I think that Schroeder has an advantage over him and that he can create his own shot. That's not really Alonzo thing. He's not going to get into the paint and score for you, which is just not super important on this Laker team, which is why I don't care about it. So yeah, uh, yeah, he, he's just, he's a player that is going to attract interest. And the only thing the Lakers have going for them is, Hey, we're the Lakers. And that might work when a guy is 32 years old, but I don't think it works when he's, you know, 23 or whatever Alonzo is and searching for his first big payday. All right, Sabrina, we'll, we'll wrap up on this. You know, we're only still a couple, just over a couple of weeks away from from the uh, 2021 NBA draft, which is on the 29th. Do you think the Lakers will try and make any moves leading up to all that, or is it just going to be they're going to use their pick and, and you know, we're just going to be kind of light on the news until we get towards free agency, which I'm sure when the rumor mill will start going crazy? You know, it's funny. Last year, I thought that the Lakers were going to hang Pat and, like, their major move was just going to be, oh, hey, we're going to get Dennis Schroeder. Um, because they were worried about Danny Green's health going forward. Totally understandable. I get that. Still didn't like the trade, but I understand the thought process going into it. And then they proceeded to blow up their entire big man rotation and like switch out a lot of players. And it was a far bigger, you know, set of changes than I would have expected for a defending champion. This year, we keep hearing rumors that like Lakers are not really interested in running it back, right? Like they're trying to reload for this fourth year of LeBron in Los Angeles. And I get that because there were definitely some 
weaknesses that revealed in last year's team. And I, my gut says that they're going to try very hard to do something. It's just, I am not creative enough with the salary cap to figure out how they're going to do it. Um, like LeBron's making 41 million next year. AD's making 35. Uh, Kuz's extension kicks in. That's 13 million. That, that figure from LeBron is his, his, his extension too, right? So there's just a lot of money going into the Lakers salary cap. They've still got this stupid 5 million that's owed to Luol Dang next year. Like they just don't have a ton of financial flexibility. And as much as I would love to see them upgrade their team, I think we're going to see a largely similar lineup to what they fielded at the start of the 2021 season. And I don't think that's necessarily such a bad thing because when they were healthy, they were fine. But how long do we want to continue to bank on health? Yeah. Yeah. They need to look at, they need to look at some ways. Again, I mean, I think last season was an anomaly when you look around the NBA in terms of how many injuries we did get and the, you know, the condensed schedule and, and the lack, especially for the Lakers and the Miami heat uh, two teams who went the furthest last year was, you know, not getting that break in between. So I think they have to prioritize looking at durability a little bit, if they are going to use the mid-level on, on, on bringing in, you know, a, a veteran or the veterans minimum to, to bring in a guy who they're going to make sure he's going to be able to be there. But I, the, you know, it's interesting because I, I agree with you going into last off season, I didn't think that they would actually change things around too much. I thought when you're looking at the, the, you know, the outer part of the team, like you're going to let some veterans go like JaVale McGee or something you could, you know, although he started, it was like, all right, you can look at, or, or Dwight. I think, I thought they'd keep one of them because it did work very well having at least one of them on the floor for, for a majority of the playoffs last season. And then obviously you have the Anthony Davis variable, but I, I don't want them to get into a thing. I think for the long-term success of the franchise, I don't think you want to, and it's, oh, mind you, we're obviously looking at short-term because LeBron's on, on year to year, but trying to really uh-huh. like re reinvent the, the, the pieces around LeBron and AD every year, if they don't win, well, that might sound like a good approach. I also think you might be able to, might taken away from things because they, they were doing a lot of great things before the injury started piling up. you know what I mean? Like they were leading the Western conference. They were, like I said, top one or two, I believe in, in, in defense in the league. And, you know, they were getting going. The shooting was always, always an issue. They were always, you know, somewhere between 15 and 20 throughout that time too. But if you look at it, like, do you think they should try and look at adding some pieces now who are like, these guys are going to be here for at least the next three, four years. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why I'm really interested to see what they do with their draft pick this year, because they don't control their first round pick. I think until like 2024 now, mm-hmm. um, I might have the protections wrong on like what new Orleans is capable of doing. Cause there's like some weird deferring option that they have, which was very creative when it was first established, but like, do they try to draft somebody who can help immediately? Like we keep seeing someone like Chris Duarte, who's been mocked to the Lakers because he's already what, 24 years old. And he's just a guy who can shoot and has an NBA body already. Like that seems like a very useful player. Um, but then maybe this is their last chance to get somebody with some high upside, like a THT. And like, do you want to waste that opportunity on a guy who can play for two years, but like, won't really factor into your future down the line. Like there's just, there's so many different ways the Lakers could approach this draft and this off season. And like the fact that there are so many questions just makes this like even harder to try to predict. Yeah. It's going to be an, inter- I mean, again, the, the financial picture, as we mentioned during the, during the Lonzo, during the Lonzo portion of it, like it's just, it's going to be, have to be something that they're going to have to get really, really creative. Does that mean they're completely hamstrung? No, but they're, you know, Palenka, the management team, LeBron, I'm sure is going to be in on this is they got to figure out ways that they can get creative. Cause I do think as, as good as they were throughout the beginning of last season. Yeah. You want to see them add another dependable piece or two. And I think, you know, looking back at, at the time when the Miami heat, 
you know, with, with LeBron and, and D Wade and Chris Bosh, you know, they joined forces. They had those three guys, you know, and, and there was no questioning that those were the three in LeBron and no disrespect to Chris Bosh, who was, who was the third on that, on that, in that pecking order. But he was also a guy who was like, yeah, he can still come out and score 30 points and win you a game in the playoffs. And I think I've been looking at a team like the Sixers and you're looking at a team like the Lakers this year where, you know, the Sixers had a little bit worse where they had Embiid who was hurt. And, and I like Toby Harris a lot, but I don't think he really takes that second guy on the on the pedestal. And I think for the Lakers last year is like, you know, KCB, KCP had a phenomenal playoff. And then you look at these guys. So I, I think adding someone and again, they don't have the money to do it. So they are going to have to get creative, but adding at least someone who's going to be uh, a dependable and that means on the court as well as being able to stay healthy guy you know barring all things you know being equal that they're going to be able to to really give something else to the team so it'll be interesting to see what they do throughout the offseason don't forget we're going to have you covered here at silver screen and roll our podcast network will be rolling all the way through the draft uh, you can follow us or subscribe to us part of me on itunes spotify google Podcasts, you name it we're there uh, and you can also check us out silver screen and sabrina herself as well as uh christian and What's the other guy's name again? Uh, Harrison. <laughs> I was just joking. That was a joke. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. But, and Harrison, of course, the man behind the magic at Silver Screen Roll. Uh, we'll have you covered. That does it for this episode. We'll catch up with you all next week.